Welcome to Contemplate, a Bible teaching ministry of Pastor David Robinson and brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Today we'll begin looking at Acts chapter 12, so please get out your Bible and here's Pastor David. This is exciting stuff as we go through. We're going to read about a couple different stories today. For those of you who have never been here before, Acts is a history of the early church. A guy named Luke uh, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Acts, and he was a meticulous historian. And he went through and included all kinds of details about what happened, what was going on with the church. Started out with Jesus, uh, with his disciples, after the resurrection, talking about the, the evidence of the resurrection, the witnesses for the resurrection. Goes on through the early life of the church, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends, people are speaking different languages, the church grows by 3,000. On and on we go and we see different persecution and different things happen. Um, and then recently we've seen the first Gentile, that's non-Jewish, converts into the church, which is a really big deal. And, and uh, now we're, we're getting into a couple stories today that are really interesting. I, I find them interesting because both of the stories that we're going to read about in Acts 12 tell us something about the power of God. Now, there are some situations in life where we deal with people in power, and it depends on our perspective to that power how we feel about it. So if I'm at my house and people are trying to break in and I call the police, I'm really happy that they have the power to come and help protect my family. But if I'm the guy trying to break in, I'm not nearly as happy about the power of the police, right? I don't like that power as much. It depends on the perspective. It depends on the perspective. I I really like the fact that my wife has the, the moxie and the strength and power to help discipline my children when they're not doing what they ought to do. I don't like it as much when I screw up, right? Um, you know, it just depends on the perspective that I'm looking at, right? And so we're going to see that in these couple stories that we go through today. Um, and so let's get into it. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts 12. If not, it's going to be on these screens. Um, but we're going to see a couple different scenarios with a guy named Peter, who we know pretty well, and a guy named Herod Agrippa the first who we're going to find out about today. So let's get, let's get into a first verse here, 12.1. Now about that time, Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Okay, He's going to persecute people from the church. Now one thing we have to do here is we've got to talk about who this Herod is. Um, I know that many of you have read through scripture and you see Herod a bunch of times. Well, they're not all the same Herod. Okay, There's, They're different Herods. Herod the Great was the guy that we see in the birth narratives of Jesus, right? The guy who wanted to kill all the, all the males under two and so on. He's in Luke 1 and 2 and in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, he was around from 37 B.C. ruling until about 4 B.C., okay? Uh, somewhere in there. And he, he had some sons. He had some, several sons, many of whom took on the name Herod. One was named Aristobulus. Uh, and, and that we're going to talk about him in a minute. Another one was named Archelaus, and we'll read about Archelaus in Matthew 2. Um, and, and then there was Herod Antipas, who's the Tetrarch. And this is the guy, this is the Herod, every other reference in Scripture other than Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 2, all the other references to Herod are to Herod Antipas, okay, in the Gospels. In the Gospels. Now, outside of the Gospels, in Acts, we get some, some different Herods. But then we have Philip, which is another brother um, who we read about in chapter 3, 1, verse 1 of Luke. And we read about him in Matthew 14, 3. Okay, that's Philip. 
All right, confused yet? We're going to keep going. Now, back to Aristobulus. Aristobulus, the son of Herod the Great, had some kids. Yeah, he had some kids, uh, and, and a couple of them were Herod Agrippa, okay, who we're going to call Herod Agrippa I, and Herodias, which is a girl's name, if you didn't know that. Um, and Herodias was an interesting person also. She married her uncle Philip, who we just talked about, Herod the Great's son, and then she married Herod Antipas, who was his brother, okay? This did not go well. John the Baptist had a few things to say about that, and Herod Antipas took off his head. So you'll read about that if you go back and look at at Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 3 through 6. You can read that story. So Herod, Herod Agrippa I is the guy who we're talking about here, Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great, son of Aristobulus. This is getting like a Lord of the Rings movie with all these names. Um, He is the guy we're talking about in Acts chapter 12. Now, to confuse things a little bit further, he had a son who we'll call Herod Agrippa II, who later on in Acts is the Herod that we're going to talk about, okay? Herod Agrippa II and his wife Bernice, they're involved with the trial of Paul that we'll see along with uh, his sister, was named Drusilla, and she was the uh, wife of Felix, the governor. We'll see all that in Acts 25 and 26. You don't have to know that right now. Don't be writing all that down in your little book. We'll get there eventually. Um, and so I, I assume everybody's good. That we're going to pass out the quizzes. Let's, okay, no, we're not going to pass out the quizzes. Um, so that's who Herod is. Herod Agrippa I, that's who we're dealing with here. And there's some things you need to know about Herod Agrippa I. Remember, Acts is about facts, right? So we got to know this kind of stuff to understand the context of what's going on politically, socially, culturally, in order to understand what's going on here in Scripture. So you got to know who this guy is, where he came from, and so on. Herod Agrippa I was actually well-liked when he was ruling, okay? He was well-liked by the Pharisees. And one of the reasons is that he was actually descended from Hasmonean Jews. And so he followed and practiced the law, he followed and practiced the law. He was actually buddies. He grew up, Herod the, the Great, if you ever read Josephus, you'll find out he's killing all his sons all the time. He actually killed Herod Agrippa I's father, Aristobulus. Um, and so Herod Agrippa I was hanging out in Rome, didn't really want to be down in Jerusalem, Galilee, and whatever, where Herod the Great's just killing people, just offing people. So he grows up there, and he gets to know the emperor Caligula, before he's an emperor. He gets to know the emperor Claudius before he's an emperor. And these guys are buddies, okay? And so when he comes back later to the area of Judea and Galilee and so on, first Caligula, who becomes emperor, gives him some power. And he becomes a king. And then later when Agrippa's done, I'm sorry, when Caligula's done, and Claudius comes to power, Claudius gives him even more. So at this time where we're reading here, he's in charge of a large portion of what we're looking at as Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, all that area, he's in charge of all that. Okay, that's where he is. And they were happy with him. The Jews were happy with him. Uh, Josephus says this about Herod in terms of him uh, being following the Jewish laws. He says, he loved to live continually at Jerusalem and was exactly careful in the observance of the laws of his country. He therefore kept himself entirely pure, nor did any day pass over his head without its appointed sacrifice. So this guy was meticulous as to the following of the law. As you'll find out, his heart was not for God. But he did the things that the Pharisees liked. And as we've read, some of these guys also followed all those little rules, but their heart wasn't exactly for God, right? Jesus had a few things to say to them. So 
Let's get back to the story. Herod Antipas I is persecuting some people from the church. Let's look at the next verse. It says, Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. All right. Again, we got some names issues because there's more than one James out there. But this is James, the brother of John, okay? The disciples, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder, right? We have a James and John here in this church, and they're pretty much the sons of Thunder, too, if you, if you get to know them. Um, but along with Peter, James and John made up kind of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. So we had 12 disciples, but Peter, James, and John were, were kind of the homies, right? They're, they're kind of real, real tight with Jesus. They were in this inner circle. So Herod puts James to death with the sword. That means he cut his head off. Okay, that's, that's, it was a normal way of, of doing executions. One of the ways that the Romans, because Romans were executing people. That was something they were really good at. One of the ways they did was they cut people's head off. So when we see put to death with the sword, that's what they're talking about. Okay? So he cut his head off, um, and James ends up being the first disciple of Jesus to be martyred that we hear about. So James is the first to go. So Herod does this. Look at the next couple of verses, three and four. And because he saw... That's, that's Herod Agrippa the first. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the la- days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. All right, so he's, we, we know the inner circle, right? James, John, and Peter. So he's got James. Now he goes after another one in the inner circle, another major leader of the church, Peter. Okay, because he sees that when he, when he persecuted James and put him to death, that the Pharisees were all happy with him. And he wanted to, he's like, oh, this works. I'm getting more glory. I'm getting more praise for doing this. So I'm just going to take the church out. So I'm going to take the leaders of the church out. So he picks up Peter and he puts him in prison and he doesn't do anything to him right then because it's during unleavened bread. And, you know, offing people during unleavened bread was sort of looked down upon. And so they waited for this feast to be over before he was going to do anything to Peter. And it says that Peter was guarded by four squads of soldiers. It seems a little bit like overkill to guard him with four squads of soldiers. Peter, remember, is the guy who was so afraid of a little girl who said he was a Jesus that he denied him three times. So this is not always the bravest guy in the world. But nevertheless, four squads of soldiers. And why do you think that is? Don't forget that back in chapter 5, they put the apostles in prison, and an angel got them out. And they're in the, in the temple preaching the next day. And that embarrassed folks. And so uh, and that was the temple guard that had them. This time, Herod says, no, no, let's use Roman soldiers, which is most likely what we have here, because this is how they did things, four squads. And let's, let's get him, and let's make sure he does not get out of prison. So he's got four squads of soldiers. Um, and uh, let's, let's see what happens in the next verse here, verse 5. Peter was, therefore, kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. So, Peter is in prison. What is the church doing? church is having a prayer meeting, right? The church is praying. They believe that God has power to respond when they pray, okay? The church there prayed together. Now, we've talked about prescriptive and descriptive. Right? Prescriptive is things that we see in the book of Acts that we ought to also do, and descriptive is just telling us something that happened, but it's not necessarily something that we need to do. This is prescriptive. When stuff happens, we pray. We pray. We don't try to solve everything ourselves because we can't. And there are all kinds of things in life that we have no control over, and we have to give those things to God. We have to pray and believe that God has power. Let's look at the next verse here, 
uh, verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Okay. Peter's about to get it. Bad stuff is about to happen to him. Herod Agrippa is about to bring him out next morning or whatever. And what is Peter doing that night? He's sleeping. Like, I don't know about you, but, you know, if I'm sitting here and I know that James just got a lot shorter, um, and, and that's what Herod's planning to do, and it's going to be the next morning, I'm sitting going, you know, I'm not, I'm not sleeping. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm minimally, I'm praying, crying, you know, fetal position. I don't know, but I'm not like, you know, just passing out sleeping. It's interesting that he's sleeping, right? I mean, he either is extremely tired or he's not that worried. Now, there's, there's a theory out there, one possibility about why Peter may not have been worried that something bad was going to happen here. And here's the theory. There's, there's a, a passage where Jesus talks to Peter. This is what he says to him. This is in John 21, 18. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, He's talking to Peter. When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now, this is, people think this is predicting, Jesus predicting the martyr death of Peter, possibly as a crucifixion, which is, according to church history, what happened when he's old, okay? So Jesus basically says, which is always fun to hear from him, by the way, when you get old, someone's going to come and kill you, um, and so, you know, look forward to that. Uh, but that's, that's what he believed, right? Peter was probably middle age at this point, but not old. He wasn't old. Of course, I never think I'm old either until I try to exercise, and then I remember that I am. But Peter was probably not thinking that he was old yet. So he may have actually just not been that worried. He may have been like, nope, Jesus told me I'm going to die much later. I believe what he said, so I'm just going to take a nap. I don't know. But he's sleeping, okay? So he's, he's sitting here sleeping between these two guards chained to these guys. They really don't want to let him go. And this was not uncommon in the Roman world, to actually chain somebody this way, two guards and the person's chained between them. These guards did not want to let their folks get away. Let's look at verse 7. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. I love the fact that the angel smacks him, right? Because if you've ever had... Teenage boys, particularly, um, although my teenage girls sort of this way too. But you try to wake them up, mm -mm. they're not getting up, right? You know, it's it's two in the afternoon and they're still sleeping um, on a Saturday, and you're like, get up, get up. And so here's Peter; he's obviously just conked out, and this angel has to come and get up, right? Get up, arise quickly. That's not the way we talk. He's like, get up, Peter. Um, and so he has to he has to smack him a little bit, and these chains they just fall off Peter's hands. Okay, let's look at the next couple verses, 8 and 9. It says, Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Again, he looks even more like my teenage son, who it's not just get up, but you know, they do this whole thing. It's like, get on your clothes, get on your shoes, put on your jacket, let's go. And that's really what's happening here. I mean, that's the nature of what he's having to tell him. Get up, get this on, get this on. We got to go. Get ready. Get ready. Let's go. And so he's getting Peter, and he's saying, let's go. And Peter is not, does not realize 
that he's awake. He thinks this might be a vision, which I find fascinating because many times in a dream, I've thought I was in reality, but never have I been in reality and thought I was in a dream. And so this must have been the the level of supernatural intervention that's going on, the power of God that's being shown here, was so incredible that he's thinking, I must must be dreaming. This must be a vision. It's not real. And so that's where Peter's at, and we go on to the next verse, verse 10. It says, when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So here he's going, and you know, they're going past these guards. He's just kind of like, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. And this door opens, which he's just like, this is a very cool vision. Then he gets outside, and then the angel's gone, and he's standing there. And he's standing there probably realizing something, right? As, as we read in verse 11, it says, And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So he's outside. Once the angel's gone, he's like, okay, I'm not waking up. This is real. This is real. This really happened. And he says, now I know that this was the angel of the Lord and that Herod and that these Pharisees and these leaders of the Jewish people wanted me dead. That was their expectation. They were going to stomp out the church and that God's power has come in to keep that from happening. They expected bad. God did something good. Now, uh, people have forever, since the beginning as you can see, this isn't the first martyr we've seen, right? This isn't the first time they've tried to kill somebody. From the beginning, they've tried to stomp out Christ, right? Herod, his grandfather, Herod Agrippa's grandfather, Herod the Great, tried to kill Jesus before it could ever get started. Did not happen. Then they did kill Jesus later on. Oops, rose from the dead. You know, they're, you know, 0 for 2. Then they're starting to kill the disciples and, and the followers of Christ. And every time it happens, the church explodes in growth. They cannot shut it down. The power of God is too powerful to keep them from shutting down Christ's church. And people continue to this day. There are people who will tell you, in 100 years, there will be no Christianity. It's nonsense. It's silly. Religion is dumb. And guess what? People said that 100 years ago, too, and 100 years before that. And here we are. Right? This is what Herod and these people expected, but God did not let it happen. Did not let it happen. All right. Let's look at verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. This is John Mark. Where many were gathered together praying. So Peter goes to the house of Mary, who is the mother of John Mark. There's a lot of Marys in the Bible. This Mary is the mother of John Mark. That's how we know who she is. Obviously, he had some money. She had this house in the city, and he goes there, okay? Um, We'll see John Mark later at the end of this chapter, and then we'll see him a number of times. We'll actually see him go on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. He sort of bags out on it, and later they want to take him again, and Paul's like, "I I don't want him coming with us. And Barnabas and Paul actually have a disagreement about this and go their separate ways. Barnabas taking John Mark, Paul going with Silas. Um, and then later, as a companion and interpreter uh, for Peter, he ends up writing the Gospel of Mark that we have in Scripture. This is John Mark. That's who this guy is. This is his mother Mary's house. Okay? So, where does Peter go? This is interesting. He gets out of prison, and the angel releases him, and the first place he goes, where does he go? His life group. That's where he goes. 
This is Peter's life. You'll see by context, that's what's going on here. He goes to marry John Mark's mother's house to this life group. That's where he, that's where he goes immediately, right? Because he knows they're praying for him for his release, and he wants to give them the good news. So off he goes to his life group. Let's look at the next couple of verses, 13 and 14. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. All right. So Rhoda means Rose is, is what her name is. You know, he's out there. He's knocking on the gate. She comes, and he's like, hey, Peter here. And she's like, ah, and she's so excited. She runs in and tells everybody Peter's outside, but doesn't let him inside. Meanwhile, he's standing there being like, okay, any second, these soldiers that just woke up and realized I was gone are going to find me and put me back in prison, and here I am outside the gate, sitting here at the gate, right? So not a good thing for Peter (laughs) as he sits here. And she goes inside, okay? She goes inside and she tells him. This is what they said to her, verse 15. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now this is fascinating. These people have been in continuous prayer. For what? That God would save Peter. That he would get released from prison. That he would save him. That he'd be alive. Rhoda comes in all excited and says, he's out there outside. They're sitting, literally probably interrupting them for praying, Lord, release Peter from prison. And then they come in, he's, he's here. And they're like, no, no, you're crazy. Sounds all too familiar, doesn't it? We pray and cry out to God for all kinds of things. And yet we often have a hard time believing his answers too. You want to be sure and check out the next episode to see how this all plays out. And if we can help you grow in your faith, please contact us. Call 360-885-9000 or send us an email. Use info at axchurchnw.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll look for you right here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate. Contemplate.